The Young Railroaders, Tales of Adventure and Ingenuity, by Francis Lovell Coombs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Young Railroaders by F. Lovell Coombs Chapter One One Kind of Wireless When, after school that afternoon, Alex Ward waved a good-bye to his father, the Bixton station agent for the Middle Western, and set off up the track on the spring's first fishing, he had little thought of exciting experiences ahead of him. Likewise, when two hours later a sudden heavy shower found him in the woods three miles from home, and with but three small fish, it was only with feelings of disappointment that he wound up his line and ran for the shelter of an old log cabin a hundred yards back from the stream. Scarcely had Alex reached the doorway of the deserted house when he was startled by a chorus of excited voices from the rear. He turned quickly to a window, and with a cry sprang back out of sight. Emerging from the woods, excitedly talking and gesticulating, was a party of foreigners who had been working on the track near Bixton, and in their midst, his hands bound behind him, was Hennessy, their foreman. For a moment Alex stood rooted to the spot. What did it mean? Suddenly, realizing his own possible danger, he caught up his rod and fish, and sprang for the door. On the threshold he sharply halted. In the open he would be seen at once, and pursued. He turned and cast a quick glance round the room, the ladder to the loft. He darted for it, scrambled up, and drew himself through the opening just as the excited foreigners poured in through the door below. For some moments afraid to move, Alex lay on his back, listening to the hubbub beneath him and wondering in terror what the trackmen intended doing with their prisoner. Then, gathering courage at their continued ignorance of his presence, he cautiously moved back to the opening and peered down. The men were gathered in the centre of the room, all talking at once. But he could not see the foreman. As he leaned farther forward, heavy footfalls sounded about the end of the house, and Big Tony— a huge Italian who had recently been discharged from the gang, appeared in the doorway. "'We put a him in the barn,' he announced in broken English, for the rest of the gang were Poles. "'Tomaso, he watch a him.' "'And now listen,' continued the big trackman fiercely, as the rest gathered about him. "'I didn't tell everything. Besides decent man Hennessy, he say cut it a wage.' and send for others take your job. He tell it the bigger boss, you no work a good. So the bigger boss, he no pay you for all dat last month. The ignorantly credulous Poles uttered a shout of rage. Several cried, Kill him! Kill him! Alex in the loft drew back in terror. No, there better away than dat, said Tony. The men to take a your job come tonight on the number twenty. I have a de plan. You all a know de old track that turn off along the river to the old brickyard? Well, hundred yard from the main line, the old track she wash away. We will turn the old switch. Number twenty, she run on the old track, and swoosh, 
into the river. Run number twenty into the river! Alex almost cried aloud, and he knew the plan would succeed. That, as Big Tony said, a hundred yards from the main-line track, the old brickyard siding embankment was washed out, so that the rails almost hung in the air. "'Dinner we all say,' went on Big Tony. "'We all say, Hennessy, he do it. We say we caught a him. See?' Again Alex glanced down, and with hope he saw that some of the poles were hesitating. But Tony quickly added, "'And no one else be killed but at the strike-break. No other people's on the number twenty dees a day at night. And the trainmen, they all have plenty time to jump. Only the men what steal your job,' he repeated craftily. And with a sinking heart Alex saw that the rest of the easily excitable foreigners had been won. Again he moved back out of sight. Something must be done, if he could only reach the barn and free the foreman. But, of course, the first thing to do was to make his own escape from the house. He rose on his elbow and glanced about. At the far end of the loft a glimmer of light through a crack seemed to indicate a door. Cautiously Alex rose to his knees and began creeping forward to investigate. When halfway... A loud creak of the boards brought him to a halt with his heart in his mouth. But the loud conversation below continued, and heartily thanking the drumming rain on the roof overhead, Alex moved on, and finally reached his goal. As he had hoped, it was a small door. Feeling cautiously about, he found it to be secured by a hook. When he sought to raise the catch, however, it resisted. Evidently it had not been lifted for many years, and had rusted to the staple. Carefully Alex threw his weight upward against it. It still refused to move. He pushed harder, and suddenly it gave with a piercing screech. Instantly the talking below ceased, and Alex stood rigid, scarcely breathing. Then a voice exclaimed, "'Up to stair!' Quick footsteps crossed the floor towards the ladder and in a panic of fear Alex threw himself bodily against the door, in a mad endeavour to force it. But it still held, and with a thrill of despair he dropped flat to the floor, and saw the foreigner's head come above the opening. There, however, the man paused, and turned to gaze about, listening. For a brief space, while only the rain on the roof broke the silence, the foreigner apparently looked directly at the boy on the floor, and Alex's heart seemed literally to stand still. But at last, after what appeared an interminable time, the man again turned and withdrew, and with a sigh of relief Alex heard him say to those below, "'Only do win, that's all.' Waiting until the buzz of conversation had been fully resumed, Alex rose once more to his knees and began a cautious examination of the door. The cause of its refusal to open was soon apparent. The old hinges had given, allowing it to sag and catch against a raised nail-head in the sill. Promptly Alex stood upright, grasped one of the cross-pieces, carefully lifted, and in another moment the door swung silently outward. With a glance Alex saw that the way was clear, and quickly lowering himself by his hands, dropped. Here the rain once more helped him. On the wet, soggy ground he alighted with scarcely a sound. Momentarily, however, 
though he now breathed easily for the first time since he had entered the house, he stood listening. The excited talking inside went on uninterruptedly, and moving to the corner he peered about in the direction of the barn. Leaning in the doorway, smoking, and most fortunately with his back towards the house, was the Italian Tommaso. Beyond doubt the foreman was inside. At the rear of the barn, and some hundred feet from where Alex stood, was a small cow-stable. Alex determined to make an effort to reach it, and see if from there he could not get, unseen, into the barn itself. The Italian continued to smoke peacefully, and with his eyes constantly on him, Alex stepped forth and set off across the clearing on tiptoe. The guard puffed on, and he neared the stable. Then suddenly the man moved and made as though to turn, but with a bound Alex shot forward on the run, made the remaining distance, and was out of view. The rear door of the stable was open. On tiptoe Alex made his way inside. The door leading into the barn also was ajar. With bated breath pausing after each step, Alex went forward, reached it, and peered within. Yes, the foreman was there, a dim figure sitting on the floor a few feet from him. But the outer doorway, in which stood the man on guard, also was only a few feet away, and at once Alex saw that the problem of reaching the foreman without being discovered was to be a difficult one. Trusting to the now-gathering gloom of the twilight, however, Alex determined to make a try. Opening his knife, and holding it in his teeth, he sank to the floor and began slowly worming his way forward, flat on his stomach. It was a nerve-trying ordeal. A dozen times he was sure the crackling straw had betrayed him, but pluckily he kept on, inch by inch, and finally was almost within touch of the unsuspecting prisoner. Then very softly he hissed. Sharply, as he had feared, the foreman twisted about, but at the moment, by great good luck, the foreigner at the door turned to knock his pipe against the doorpost, and hurriedly Alex whispered, "'Don't move, Mr. Hennessy. It's Alex Ward. I was in the old house, and saw them bring you up. And, Mr. Hennessy, they planned to run twenty into the river tonight. Tony told them there were strike-breakers aboard her to take their places.' In spite of himself, the foreman uttered a low exclamation. At once the man in the door turned, but with quick presence of mind the prisoner changed the exclamation to a loud cough, and after a moment, while Alex lay holding his breath, the Italian turned his attention again to his pipe. "'Now I am going to cut your cords,' Alex went on softly. "'Be careful not to let your arms seem to be free.' The foreman nodded. There, announced Alex, as the twine dropped from the prisoner's wrists. Now what shall we do? There is a door behind you into the cow stable, the one I came in by. Suppose you work back towards it as far as you dare, then make a dash for it. Good, whispered the foreman over his shoulder, but you get out first. All right, responded Alex and immediately began moving backwards, feet first, as he had come. Their escape was to be made more easy, however. At the moment from the house came a call, 
the man in the doorway stepped out to reply, and in an instant seeing the opportunity, both Alex and the foreman were on their feet, and had darted out into the stable. "'Now for a sprint,' said the foreman. "'Or, say, suppose I hide here in the stable,' suggested Alex. "'They don't know of my being here. Then as soon as the way is clear, I can get off in the opposite direction, and one of us would be sure to get away.' "'Good idea,' agreed the foreman. "'All right, you.' There came a loud cry from the barn, and instantly he was off, and Alex, darting back, crept low under a stall-box. As he did so, the Italian rushed by and out, and uttered a second cry as he discovered the fleeing foreman. From the house came an answer, then a chorus of shouts that told the rest of the gang had joined in the chase. Alex lay still, until the last sound of pursuit had died away. Then slipped forth, glanced sharply about, and dashed off for the woods in the direction of the river and the railroad bridge. The adventure was not yet over, however. Alex had almost reached the shelter of the trees, and was already congratulating himself on his safety, when suddenly from the opposite side of the clearing rose a shout of, "'De boy! De boy!' Glancing back in alarm, he saw several of the poles cutting across in an endeavour to head him off. Onward he dashed with redoubled speed. With a final rush, he reached the trees ahead of them, and plunging into the friendly gloom, darted on recklessly, diving between trunks and over logs and bushes like a young hare. A quarter of a mile Alex ran desperately, then halted, panting, to listen. Not a sound, save his own breathing, broke the stillness. Surely, thought Alex, I haven't shaken them off that easily, unless they were already winded from their chase after. Off to the right rose a shrill whistle. From immediately to the left came an answer. Then he understood. They were heading him off from the railroad and the river spur. Alex's heart sank, and momentarily he stood in despair. Then suddenly he thought of the old brickyard. It lay less than a mile north, and was full of good hiding-places. If he could reach it ahead of them, what with the daylight now rapidly failing, he would almost certainly be safe. At once he turned and was off with renewed vigour. And finally, utterly exhausted, but cheered through not having heard a sound from his pursuers for the last quarter-mile, Alex stumbled into the clearing of the abandoned brickworks, ran low for a distance under cover of a long drying-frame, and, scrambling through the low doorway of an old tile-oven, threw himself upon the floor, done out, but confident that at last he was safe. As he lay panting and listening, Alex turned his thoughts again to the train. Had the foreman made his escape? With so many promptly after him it seemed scarcely probable. Then the saving of twenty was still upon his own shoulders, and there was little time in which to do anything, for she was due at seven-fifty, and it must be after seven already. Could he not reach the switch itself, and throw it back just before the train was due? that would be surest, and in the rapidly growing darkness there should be at least a fair chance of getting by any of the foreigners who might be on the watch. Determinedly Alex gathered himself together, and crawled back to the entrance. Near the doorway he stumbled over something. "'Oh, our old switch-lantern!' he exclaimed, holding it to the light. 
and momentarily paused to examine it, for it had been placed under cover there the previous fall by himself and some other boys, after being used in a game of hold-up on the brickyard siding. "'Just as we left it,' said Alex to himself, and was about to put it aside, when he paused with a start, studied it sharply a moment, then uttered a cry, shook it to see that it still contained oil, and scrambled hurriedly forth, taking it with him. A moment he paused to listen, then set off on the run for the old yard semaphore, dimly discernible a hundred yards distant. Reaching it, he caught the lantern in his teeth, and ran up the ladder hand over hand, clambered onto the little platform, and turned toward the town. Yes! Through the trees the station lamps were plainly visible. With a cry of delight, Alex at once set about carrying out his inspiration. Quickly trimming the lantern wick, he lit it, with his handkerchief tied it to the semaphore arm, and turned it so that the bull's-eye pointed towards the station. Then, catching off his cap, he held it over the bull's-eye, and alternately covering and uncovering the stream of light, began flashing across the darkness signals that corresponded with the telegraphic call of the Bixton station. "'BX!' he flashed. "'BX! BX! BX!' "'BX! BX! A.W.' his private sign. "'BX! BX! A.W.' The station lights streamed on. "'QK! QK! BX! BX!' called Alex. His right hand tired, and he changed to the left. "'Surely they should be on the lookout for me and see it,' he told himself, for when I go fishing I'm always home at—' One of the station lights disappeared. Breathlessly Alex repeated his call and waited. Was it merely someone pulling down a blind, or— The light appeared again, then disappeared, several times in quick succession, and Alex uttered a joyful hurrah, and turning his whole attention to the lamp, that the signals might be perfect, began flashing across the night his thrilling message of warning. The foreign track hands. From a short distance down the spur came a shout. Startled, Alex hesitated. Again came a cry, then the sound of swiftly running feet. He had been discovered. In a panic, Alex turned and began to scramble down the ladder. But sharply he pulled up. No, that would be playing the coward. He must complete the message and bravely choking down his terror, he climbed back onto the platform, and while the running feet and the threatening cries came nearer every moment, continued his message. Hands are— "'Stop dat! Quick! I shoot! I shoot!' cried the voice of Big Tony, immediately below him. Again for a moment Alex quailed, then again went bravely on, while the old semaphore rocked and swayed as the enraged Italian threw himself at it, and scrambled up towards him. "'Going to run?' With a plunge, the big trackman reached up and caught him by the ankle, wrenched him back from the lantern, and clambered up beside him. Catching the light off the semaphore arm, he thrust it into the boy's face. "'Oh, ho!' he exclaimed. "'So it you, da station man boy, eh? And you de one what a help Hennessy get away, eh? And what did now you do with dis?' he demanded fiercely, indicating the lantern. "'If you can't guess, I'm not going to tell you,' 
declared Alex stoutly, though his heart was in his throat. Oh-ho! You won't, eh? All right, said Tony softly through his teeth, and in a grim silence more terrifying than the threat of his words, he blew the lantern out, tossed it to the ground, and proceeding to clamber down, grasped Alex by the leg and dragged him down after. But help was at hand. As they reached the ground a second tall figure loomed up suddenly out of the darkness. "'Who dat?' demanded Big Tony. The answer was a rush and a blow, and with a throttled cry of terror the big track-worker went to the ground in a heap, the foreman on top of him. Alex uttered a cry of joy. Then with quick wit, while the two men engaged in a terrific struggle, he darted in search of the lantern, found it, fortunately unbroken, and in a trice was again running up the semaphore ladder. As he once more reached his post on the platform, the big Italian succeeded in breaking from the foreman, scrambled to his feet, and dashed off across the brickyard. "'Come down, Alex! It's all over!' called Hennessy, gathering himself up. "'And now we've got a hike right off, a mile a minute, for the main line if we are to stop that train. They ran me so far I only just got back.' Unless twenty's late, we—' "'I'm trying to stop her from up here,' interrupted Alex, relighting the lantern. "'Up there! What do you mean?' exclaimed the foreman. "'Signaling father at the station, with a telegraph code,' said Alex, as he replaced the lantern on the semaphore arm. "'Come on up!' "'Al?' said the incredulous foreman, as he reached the platform. "'Can you really do it?' I had it going when that Italian stopped me. Watch! But Alex was doomed again to interruption. Scarcely had he begun once more flashing forth the telegraph call of the station, when from the direction of the woods came a shout, several answers, then a rush of feet. "'Some of the poles!' exclaimed the foreman. "'But you go ahead, Al, and I'll see that they don't get up to interfere,' he added determinedly. The running figures came dimly into view below. "'If any of you idiots come up here, I'll crack your heads!' shouted Hennessy, warningly. "'I've got the station again,' announced Alex. "'Now it will only take a few minutes.' One of the men below reached the ladder, and, looking up, shouted threateningly, "'Stop that! Stop that, or I shoot!' "'Go ahead, Al,' said the foreman, looking down. "'He hasn't got a gun!' But even as he spoke there was a flash and a report, and a thud just over Alex's head. "'Yes, stop! Stop!' cried the foreman. "'Stop! They've got us. No use being foolhardy.' Leaning over, he addressed the men below. "'Look here,' he said, persuasively. "'Can't you fellows see that Big Tony is only using you to make trouble for me, because I fired him for being drunk?' As I told you at first, everything he has said is untrue. Why won't you believe it? The men were silent a moment. Then one of them addressed Alex. Boy, is that true? Every word of it, said Alex earnestly. And I would have heard all about it at the station if they had intended cutting your wages or bringing others here to take your places. Then I believe it, said the Pole. The man with the pistol returned it to his pocket. "'I am sorry I shoot,' he said. "'And now, what about the train?' inquired the foreman quickly. 
Did you touch the switch? In the look of guilt the foreigners turned on one another, he saw the alarming answer. Whipping out his watch, he held it to the light. Alex, he said sharply, you have just ten minutes to catch that train at the junction. If you don't get her, she's gone. There's not time now to get down to the main line from here to flag her. Before he had ceased speaking, Alex had his cap over the light, and was once more flashing an urgent BX, 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 while below the foreigners looked on, now with an anxiety equal to that of the two on the tower. BX, QK, QK, flashed the lantern. The station light disappeared. Got em! cried Alex. Just tell them first to stop twenty at the junction, said the foreman. Right, responded Alex, and while the rest watched in profound silence, he signaled, Stop number twenty at junction. Spur switch is thrown. Got it? As Alex read off the promptly flashed, OK, the foreman sprang to his feet and gave vent to a joyful hurrah of relief that echoed again in the clearing in woods. Then, as Alex recovered the lantern, he caught him under one arm, carried him down the ladder, and there, despite his objections, hoisted him to the shoulders of two of the now enthusiastic poles, and all set off jubilantly down the spur for the switch, and home. And an hour later Alex's father and mother, anxiously awaiting him at the station, discovered his approach carried at the head of a sort of triumphal procession of the entire gang of trackmen. When Alex's father the following morning reported the occurrence to the chief dispatcher, that official called Alex to the wire to congratulate him personally. "'That was a fine bit of work, my boy,' he clicked. "'I see you are cut out for the right kind of railroader. If fourteen wasn't a bit too young, I would give you a job on the spot. But we will give you a start just as soon as we can, you may be sure.'" End of chapter